Yo, my man. Yeah. How much would it cost for me to get you to turn the grease up on that chicken? One white president. Welcome back to Fresh Off the Spaceship. I'm Larry Mizell Jr., DJ and writer here at KEXP in Seattle, and your guide in this podcast. And I'm Martin Douglas, your co-host and staff writer at KEXP. Through each episode of this podcast, we're examining the story of the Black Constellation, an artist collective that's transmitted revolutionary sounds, sights, and ideas through space and time. As mentioned in our first episode, the Black Constellation contains many stars, a multitude whose works continually overlap. But if there's one focal point to begin with, it's the light beam that is Ishmael Butler. On this week's episode, we'll explore Ishmael's journey from the West Coast to the East Coast and back again. Through all his stylistic reinventions and his current artistic life as linchpin of Shabazz Palaces, son of the Central District, and underheralded hip-hop visionary. On behalf of my crew, I want to say that we accept this award on behalf of hip-hop music, black culture in general. What you hear right there is the voice of Butterfly young Ishmael Butler with his group Diggable Planets, accepting the Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance by a duo or group back in 1993. We like for everybody to think about the people right outside this door that's homeless as you're sitting in these $900 seats and $300 seats. They're not out there eating at all. You see Ish sort of adjust his cap as a smattering of a golf applause comes from the audience. His shoulders shift back and forth in his leather jacket. Also, we like to say to the universal black family that one day we're going to recognize our true enemy and we're going to stop attacking each other and maybe then we'll get some changes going on. We'd like to thank the Academy for recognizing us. So peace to the gods and earth and uh, Nation of Islam. Digable plan say peace. Thank you very much. Universal black family. You'll find the spirit of family and collective informs the life and work of Ishmael Butler. From the Marx-inspired, insect-collectivist vision of Diggable Planet. Insect thoughts, cats with cool waves, clouds of purple haze, keep me in a daze, the jazz, the job, the poetry, the style, the lingo, the bags of equality. To his now as the Black Constellation's big bro, a mentor, a beacon, who shines a light. Focus the light at night. He doesn't hoard inspiration but fosters it and lets it grow among his family and their family's family. Think of Ish sort of like the Big Bang, ever-expanding, with limits we haven't even discovered yet. Every idea that I have was either shown or told to me, but it was given to me by some other example, some other human example, you know? In the words of the immortal Sun Ra, Everything else comes from outer space, from unknown regions. Humanity's life depends upon the unknown knowledge is laughable when attributed to a human being. You couldn't really author an idea that came to you because you were a continuation of something else. There's this um, book, yeah, it's called Being a Writer by Dorothea Brand. And in it, she gives you exercises on, you know, basically if you practice something enough, you, you, you become that thing, you know? 
You can do things. You can teach yourself things. You can discipline yourself enough to where doing something repetitively becomes instinctive. And that's exciting prospect. I got like 20 years. He ain't changed his raps down 20 years. Like a pack of crib, drinking beers, Donzo. I'm still balling, getting better like Lonzo. I feel like learning is making some effort towards longevity, activity of body and mind. You know, it, it sets the force of will to action and you live more, you know? So I try to have discipline around it because you never regret learning something. You never regret going and doing some exercise. You never regret reading. You never, you know what I mean? You never regret hanging with your people. You know what I mean? Whenever you get some new information that's dazzling to you, like, man, it's it's energizing, you know? And you believe in life more, kind of, you know what I mean? So Learning and longevity, community and culture. This is Ishmael Butler in his fifth decade of making music. Ishmael Butler's life began in Seattle's storied Central District. Yes, I'm Barbara's one and only son, Ishmael, CD, 30th and Cherry, was had. Boogie job and rap is life where I'm from, where I'm from. Ahmad play with Izzy where I'm from, where I'm from. It be like run your coat black, Jupiter, keeps a fat beats by the pack where I'm from. Nappy hair is life, we be reading marks where I'm from. The kids be rocking clocks where I'm from. You turn around your cap, you talk over a beat. And dick some sounds booming out of Jeep where I'm from. Yeah, I had a unique upbringing in the sense that my parents split up. I lived with them until I was about nine, I think. And then they split up. So they were very amicable. They saw the need and wanted, you know, each other to be involved in in, in, in my life. So from that, I learned um, smoothness and consideration. And um, also adaptation because they would always be living in a different place. Ish found in his family, in his neighborhood, the evidence of a people seeking to change and finding like-minded community in the process. Ish's grandmother, Emily, moved to Seattle from Louisiana sight unseen to work at Boeing, met his grandfather, and set up shop in the Central District. Ish describes a neighborhood bustling with life. A lot of kids in the neighborhood running up and down. In the summertime, it was packed, cookouts, people riding around, people really enjoying the fruits of their labor, having a home, having a backyard, and having, you know what I mean, growing a lot of agriculture um, with the people from transplants from down south. Everybody had turnip greens and tomatoes and cucumbers, and some people even had (laughs) various livestock. My next-door neighbors had chickens, man, you know, straight up in high school. So, um, yeah, man, shout out to Whitfields and the Fauches and the Singletaries, the Davises. These are all people on my block. I was in and out of their house, and they was in and out of mine. We is all just alike, Panthers and gangsters, raised us upright. The one thing that I will say about my upbringing was my parents, even when they weren't together, they both, through example, they exercise freedom of their thoughts and will, 
you know? So I never felt caged in. I never felt different. I never felt less than, you know? I never felt that anything was was out of my reach. It was all about, you know, work and, and uh, passion. My parents, you know, they read, they liked popular culture. They collected things like music and paintings. They had a political uh, history that of involvement. And their friends all were spawned from that. So I had a rich environment. They had done something in this world and they had believed in something. And they were now sort of the embodiment of the progress that they fought for, you know. So we always had that initiative as kids, you know, that you were something, you were everything, but you were also part of something that was, um, that, that everything was contained inside of, you know. Ishmael remembers watching Sunra's masterpiece, Space is the Place, with his father, Reggie, when he was five or six years old. Space is the place, space is the place. He remembers him putting a trumpet in his hand, an instrument he ended up playing for years. Ishmael soaked up game, living with his father in New York, Philly, and Baltimore, as well as his native Seattle, where his mother lived. Ish went to Garfield High School, Doghouse, and Seattle Central District, the same school whose halls were roamed by Quincy Jones, Jimi Hendrix, and Bruce Lee. When Ishmael returned to Seattle from living with his father, he'd absorbed style cues that he picked up back east naturally. B-boy shit, Lee jeans, triple fat goose, parts cutting his hair. Back in the time when cats in the CD and, and the whole West Coast really were leaning more towards jerry curls and silk shirts. Though he initially stood out from his classmates, Ishmael's talent on the basketball court made him stand out in a different way while earning their respect. At the other guard, a 5'11 senior, number 25, Ishmael Butler. The only thing that was really my interest in life was playing basketball. I had that passion at that time. Played in high school, we won the state championship my senior year, and I wanted to play Division I basketball. It was during that time, while hooping at UMass, that his musical ambitions started to crystallize. I had musical aspirations since high school, and there was a brother that lived in our dorms. He lived on the uh, bottom floor. He had a room next to one of the cats on the team. And we spent a lot of time in each other's room. And one day I went past this cat's room. His name was George Logeman. And he had a keyboard in his room. And I, I went in his room one day, boom, boom, knocked on his door and we got to talking. And he ended up letting me um, learn some stuff on his keyboard and let me make a couple beats. And I always had dreams of like going to New York and you know, getting on a label, and you know what I'm saying? That that was always a dream of mine, you know? So after my sophomore year, I left school and moved to New York just to pursue that dream. I had stars in my eyes, you know what I mean? I was going to try to make it happen, so. Ish started interning at Sleeping Bag Records, the label founded by avant genius Arthur Russell. Its subsidiary, Fresh Records, gave the world rap acts like EPMD and Nice and Smooth, as well as house legend Todd Terry, Ish checked the trade mags at the office and found the addresses of every label he could submit demos to. It was the dawning in New York rap's golden era, and Ishmael was right in the thick of it. 
entranced in particular by a certain experimental masterpiece. Yo, Possum Dove, stand clear to be plugged up into line one and two so y'all can flaunt that new style of speed. And good luck to both of Three Feet High and Rising was out around then. I'll be sure, you know, Uptown sounding music, um, R&B like that guy, um, Keith Sweat, Bobby went solo. Um, and then the hip hop was just, you know, it was just that all the next level stuff, you know. But Three Feet High and Rising was the grail for the kid, you know. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to back. It's the daisy age, you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. We danced a lot, you know, everybody was into dancing, and I remember that's when Milk is Chillin' was out. Gizmo scratching, Milk is rhyming, Milk is chilling, Giz is chilling. What more can I say? Top villain. Spike came with school days, you know. It was a rich cultural time. Not that it was richer than any other, but in and of itself, it was fertile. A lot was going on, a lot of things that still ring out to this day, you know? He'd also by then become acquainted with a kindred spirit in Howard student and Philadelphia native Craig Robinson, a.k.a. C. Knowledge, who in turn introduced him to Marianne Vieira, a.k.a. Mecca. When a label did finally bite, and wanted to actually see the three-person hip-hop group he was pitching, Ish recruited the pair. And the rest is history. The bloom, the swoon, the sugar's on your block. The planets let him flesh in the corners of New York. The ghetto, the meadow, the Mr. Butterflue. The honey bugs dug and licked the honeydew. The sun, the kiss, the funk for a bliss. The lips with the soul and some jazz for your hips. The puff, the buzz, the lids be heavy slick. The mecca get a rush when the beats be very thick. Long before the constellation was a bar or a notion, its future members were entranced by diggable planets. One of the members of the constellation, a foundational one in fact, who really helped connect everybody and cement their bond, Mikoyo Ali Barnes, recalls noticing something unique about diggable's music. Diggable was some of the first music that I reconciled um, that elders who were driving us around might turn on mm. you know what I mean like and it have a certain resonance for them mm-hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm. I mean it was a it had a, a cross generational um, or intergenerational effect that was wider than a lot of the other hip hop that we were listening to at the time right you know somebody mm-hmm. 10 years older than you or 15 years older than you being into Something was one thing, but somebody 30 years older than you or 40 right. years older than you, and it's still being dope was a, you know, mm-hmm. was rare. Eric Blood, the Tacoma-born studio ace who would become one of Ishmael's closest musical collaborators, an absolutely integral piece of what was to come, was naturally also an avowed Diggable fan. Tell me about <laughs> the first time you heard Diggable and how you became a fan. Ugh. Uh, it had to have been Yo MTV Raps. Like it was some some day after school watching Yo MTV Raps. And it would have been the Rebirth of Slick. And I, I, I just remember instantly being like mesmerized just, just by the, the coolness of it. Like 
it didn't have the kind of aggressive like <laughs> like look at me listen to me thing that was going on in hip hop at that time it was just so mesmerizing like i i was just i was taken by it immediately my co-host larry mizel junior had a special connection to the music of diggable via the work of his father and his uncles the mizel brothers the famed production team whose sound helped define 70s jazz funk Well, you know, I, lo- I love Diggable right out the gate. I loved uh, Reachin'. Um, but I remember by the time I heard Blowout Comb, things were a little different. Uh, me and my mom had moved out to Bellevue. Bellevue, that's a suburb of Seattle. We didn't live there very long, but I remember being out there, still taking the bus to go to Franklin. And so that would take an extra 20 minutes and I just remember feeling isolated. And I remember my dad at the time, he would send me CDs uh, for albums that uh, had sampled Mizell stuff. She got moist, cause I got the platinum voice. Like Sarah, Fidel, Froman, the New York boroughs as they temp our perms. Plus I ride the iron worms uptown, across town. One of those times he sent me Blowout Comb, and I remember being so excited. I didn't know there was a new Diggable Planets album out. I opened it up. I remember it had a distinct smell, the paper even, the kind of recycled paper of the liner notes. Really interesting. And looking through the liners, it, it kind of looked like the Black Panther newspaper. I think that's what it was trying to evoke. And really sinking into the music, which didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard before. Definitely didn't sound like the first Diggable album. And looking in the credits and seeing El Mizell, A Mizell, my dad and, and my uncle Fonts, it really kind of took me out and just connected me to this music that I, I was, that was getting my, you know, my wig flipped over at the time and, and really understanding this music that my people had had a hand in creating uh, had come back to me in a different form formed somebody who I admired. So that made me really go out and check out the Mizell Brothers uh, stuff for Donald Byrd and Bobby Humphrey and Johnny Hammond. In a way, I never had. I, you know, I didn't really trip on it before. It was just like, oh, my dad does that, but, you know, I'm, I'm my own man or whatever. And it really fostered an appreciation and understanding of my dad's music. And later on, getting to write uh, liner notes for reissues of those two diggable albums on wax, interviewing Ish about it, we were both just kind of taken out by that, by the fact that, you know, we were connected by by something outside of ourselves, but, you know, obviously very intimate. And that's that's part of our bond and, and kind of mirrors a lot of the relationships I feel like folks in the constellation have are real lucky to have. So that was that was that was a real thing. Um I gotta tip my hat to Ish. He put me on to my own family sound, you know? That's dope. <laughs> Thank you. 
Not long after the release of Blowout Comb, Diggable Planets disbanded. Ishmael spent time studying film at NYU, working on new music in silence. The one musical artifact we'd hear from him between the group's breakup and the turn of the century is his guest appearance on Camp Lowe's 1997 single, Swing. The me and you alliance is no doubt to fly science or prosecute the phony star clicks with our style to make a dollar next word. Go ahead, crack a smile. My name is Ish and that's something even in this dish. During that time, Ish recorded a solo album, Ishmael since 1999, but before it had a chance to be released, the label that was going to release it folded. Ish even tried his hand at acting during that time, working with filmmaker Dream Hampton, whom he'd known since 1994. A note about Dream, for those who don't know. She is a triple OG of storytelling and cultural criticism. She executive produced work such as Terrence Nance's directorial debut, an oversimplification of her beauty, and a lifetime docuseries, Surviving R. Kelly. You might also know her as the co-writer of Jay-Z's memoir, Decoded. I know her as one of my personal writing heroes whose prose inspired me in the pages of The Source, Vibe, and Spin. Here she is talking about working with Ish. We collaborated on my first film out of film school, Ayom Ali. Um, he starred opposite Anjanou Ellis, <laughs> who's like in all these things right now. Back then, Greg Tate recommended her. My friend mm. Greg Tate recommended her um, to star in this film about a brother who um, is uh, rapidly degenerating or di- rapidly coming apart around um, schizophrenia and severe bipolar. And and so anyway, Ish played that role like incredibly and just like the collaboration was everything I dreamed it would be. And then he went back to making music. Like Ish could have then at that point been like, I'm gonna go to Hollywood. I think he had another film after that, like another independent film. And he could have gone to LA and just like posted and got gigs. And, but obviously, as you know, his first love is music and... (laughs) He's just wildly independent and going to go his own way and his own path. That path, it seemed, led back home. As his mother's health began to take a turn, Ishmael packed up the life he'd made in the Big Apple and headed back to the Emerald City. For me, because of the fortunes that had come to um, the Diggable Planet endeavor, I had traveled a lot around the world. And I, I always was hungry and lusted travel. Mm-hmm. When I had done it, um, a lot of it, I was always like, damn, man, Seattle still remains really fly. You know, the people, the environment, the vibe. And um, as a kid, you always grow up where you grow up. You can't take it for granted. You know, not all the way, but in some ways you're looking out towards the world. You yeah. know, you want to you wanna get on your exploration, your troubadour, you know. But now Ish was back in Seattle appreciating the beauty of his childhood home and the people in it. But creatively, he was struggling. Musically, I was in a, in a funk, though. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was all over, basically, musically. I was getting older and like hadn't really done nothing for a long time. The music industry was changing. The internet was coming about, you know what I'm saying? Cell phones and all that. Things was getting real different, you know? So I was alienated from that. Part of hip-hop's brashness and bravado has always been in its energy as a young person's game. And it's only fairly recently that growing older gracefully in hip-hop has been a possibility for veteran artists. At the turn of the century, the idea of being aged out was still a very real possibility. Because I was always like, 
if you was all <laughs> if you was all rap, like that wasn't the move to me. You know what I'm sure. saying? Sure. I thought it was a thing where you like you get to a certain point, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, and then you you go do something else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're out of that. You know? Right. But that's because I was wasn't that yet. You feel me? Ishmael's first musical project after returning to Seattle was a band called Cherry Wine. Bright Black, Cherry Wine's sole full-length, received modest critical praise, but ultimately came and went with little fanfare. Oh man, say the scene seem like a feel good, don't it? And you want a cop a wish and put some sparkles on it. You gotta be there to be lucky. You gotta be there to be lucky. You gotta come out the rib, you gotta roll your dice. You gotta take a big chance, you gotta bet your life. Man, it's a special thing when you get down. It's a special thing, it's a special thing when you get down. It's special. It's a special thing when you get down. Just real quick, you know, I just wanted to note that Cherry Wine album, that's definitely one you can look at and hear where he ended up with Shabazz. And you hear him working with a lot of the same musicians who are currently in the band. You know, when you see Shabazz live, you'll see him playing with Thaddeus Turner and a lot of these same cats who are on the Cherry Wine record. So there's definitely some continuity there. But not everybody in Seattle got it. Now that Ishmael was back home in Seattle, you know, the guy who's had a platinum hit, a Grammy in their midst and he's doing this record but he's not really rapping as far as they think he's it's a little bit more funky mm-hmm. rock r&b kind of thing he's still spitting on it but people just didn't take it well it was it wasn't the sound they were used to and i remember i'm not saying that people didn't take it well but it was it was it was kind of taken as a lot more mid than it actually is it's actually a great record bright black is very dope and i just remember I wasn't there, but I heard from a few people. There was some cherry wine show at Chop Suey, and there was a, there was like one cat, and I think I know who it was booing, like literally just like boo. And I mean, that's gotta hurt when you when you put that into context of somebody who's come back home to see after their their ailing mom. They're they're kind of stoking their creative fires again. They're back home, debuting music for the first time ever. That I think that they've done that and instantly get the whammy like that i mean i asked ishmael if he recalled that moment at the cherry wine show yeah i remember that i didn't see him doing that because (laughs) hey he might he must have been booing in his shirt or something like that it was a boo nonetheless but you know i don't really look at that as whack you know because for me, everything that comes my way got to be generated by me. And if I didn't make something that moved people to endear to it, that's that's my fault, not theirs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, they might be myopic, they might be small-minded and all that, but that's still a reality that I have to deal with. You know what I mean? So you go back to the drawing board and keep going. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's how I look at it. Come on. Black stars, bitches in hot cars, moving the sequence, under with white clouds, rebel with that card, fuck with my guitars, I'm live the deep end, and drowning these sweets, man, ooh, that's the hot up, loaded and cocked up, combing your block up to the stage from the lock up, all hell my new pop, bottles and guns pop, one rise a hundred drop, the sound of the end's hottest gangster. I feel as though Ish doesn't, Ish is not the type of person that follows trends, and so like, in 2003 when you have like the the synth led 
hip hop with like you know like Timbaland and Swiftfella. Yeah, Swiss yeah. Beats is still like blowing, blowing, blowing up. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, yeah, you have like Kanye and just Blaze, mm-hmm. like with the with the classicist sort of sampled hip-hop soul and so like ish coming in with like funk and rock and live instrumentation like of course is it's confounding because this is this is one of the major eras of people following trends absolutely and 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 furthermore like i think part of the reception and i think this informed his moves later but part of the reception cherry wine why it was so kind of cold for him was because people had all this expectation because of Ishmael Butler. Mm-hmm. They were like, you did this before, what are you going to do now? And when it didn't match up, it didn't always work out. And I think that was a big part of the reason he didn't want anybody to associate his past works with his next ones. As he spent the next few years moving past his creative block, Ish slowly started gravitating towards creating music with regularity again. But he had to familiarize himself with an entirely new terrain. Well, I always had my my quick, you know. Yeah. Because that's just whether I and and honestly, I didn't have any prospect or notions of putting no music out because at the time it was like I was a get signed mentality kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And things were starting to move towards DIY. You know what I mean? Right. And I wasn't on the internet like that. I, I it was a new thing, and I'm just kind of like. You know, cats are doing this, cats are on MySpace, cats are on it. And I was just like, ah, so I'm, I'm feeling like I'm getting too old and I don't really understand the landscape. So I'm making music, but I'm not thinking it's coming out. I'm just making it because I'm, that's just my compulsion. You know what I mean? Yeah. into this period of musical exploration, Ish made an appearance on Jake One's White Van Music. Now, Jake One is a certified super producer uh, from Seattle, Washington, and that album, White Van Music, represented a high watermark uh, with local music at the time, big time. And the jewel in it was the closing track, Home, which featured C-Note, Vitamin D, and Ishmael rapping about Seattle. This was a big deal. Andrew Matson, who was working the music beat for the Seattle Times back then, recalls hearing Ish on the track. He sort of popped up on his Jake One song, Home, uh, and that was like him rapping with all these Seattle guys and talking about how Seattle was his home. And that was something that was sort of missing from his career, I think, up until then, if he'd never really rapped about um, where his roots were or about uh, what they meant to him. Um, a lot of people thought Digable Planets was like a Brooklyn group because uh, they rapped about Brooklyn so much. Um, and I guess it was at the time, but, but um, Ishmael has always been Seattle. Home was literally like a family Seattle hip-hop cookout. Everybody was at that video, including myself. You saw Ishmael... Uh, kind of stalking MLK over by the grocery outlet. It was just very, very seedy, very Seattle. And seeing him in that setting was super crucial. And it was a huge anthem in Seattle for that summer at least. And ain't every numb sweet. Solo though is my idol, man. Cherry is the street. 
the streets, bury my peeps. Credit Dre Dow, dude, being baby T. Like that. Also around this time, Ish was kicking it with a multi-instrumentalist named Tendai Morare. Tendai comes from a long line of Zimbabwean master musicians. His father, Dumisani, had popularized the Mbira in the West and had come to the Northwest to teach about it at the University of Washington. So at the time, me and Dai was just kind of hanging out, talking sports and stuff. And um, I think you, you know, can cuss, man. Huh? You can cuss, man. Oh, yeah. And so... We used to just hang out. And every time we would hang out, see, he asked me one time, yo, be on one of my songs. So he he said, I told him, I don't do music no more when he asked me the first time, which might be true, you yeah. know? Yeah. But eventually I did it with him. We was over at Kevin Gardner's house. We did the song. Mm-hmm. And um, and at, ever since after that, he would always be like, man, you got to do music. You got to do music, man. You know, and then finally one day I, he was saying it to me. I was like, man, look, I, I do music, bro. Like, I do music every day. And he, then he's like, let me hear it. So I played some for him. And, um, and uh, he was like, yeah, you got it. You got to put this out. With verses from Ishmael and his longtime friend, the rapper known as Your Dad, Dougie, and traditional percussive elements added by Tendai, the Shabazz project started to take form. A bold new era in Ishmael's creative life was on the horizon. Everything it takes, we got it in trunks, baby. You know how we bump. No if fans and maybes, all sparkles from the jump. Up and down, in and out, round and round, we crazy. Just In our next episode, Shabazz Palaces goes from myth to catalyst for a new paradigm. For Ishmael and for the individuals that we heed his call and make up the Black Constellation. From Shabazz Palaces' first show to signing the Sub Pop Records to influencing and finding fans and fellow change agents across genres. This episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship was written, produced, and edited by Martin Douglas, Janice Headley, Dusty Henry, Isabel Khalili, myself, Larry Mizell Jr., with audio production by Julian Martlew and mastering by Matt Ogas, as well as consulting from Rekha Murthy. We want to thank Sub Pop Records and all the members of the Constellation given us permission to feature their music in this episode. And we want to thank you, the listener. My name is Isabel Kelly. I'm one of the folks who's been working on this podcast, and I'm here to remind you that KEXP is listener-funded. That means that the freedom we have to pursue projects like this podcast comes completely from the support of our community. And if you're here with us now, you're part of that community. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and want to support the show, you can go to kexp.org slash fresh. A one-time gift of $35 can make a huge difference. Or if you prefer to show your support in a different way, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, leaving a rating, a review really helps other people find the podcast. So... Thanks again, and hope you can join us on the next episode to learn more about the artists of the Black Constellation.